WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. The South Carolina primary now a week away, and the race could solidify former President Donald Trump's Republican nomination for the White House. Coming up in just a few minutes, the fight former Governor Nikki Haley is putting up. But first, a battle for the governor's mansion in Raleigh. Democratic Attorney General Josh Stein already looking to the general election as he prepares to take on the state's controversial lieutenant governor. Joining us now, Democratic Attorney General and candidate for North Carolina governor, Josh Stein. Mr. Stein, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Politically speaking, should um, voters expect you to have a, a same general temperament and approach uh, of Roy Cooper, or do you see yourself and your administration as being a, a, a lot different? Well, I, I'm my own person. I have my own personality, but I have great respect for Governor Cooper. He has been a colleague and friend for about a quarter of a century now. I actually worked for him when he was attorney general and I headed the Consumer Protection Division. Uh, and so I've seen him up close for a long time and have immense respect for how steady, thoughtful, uh, and well-intentioned he is. He's just a good person. And so uh, those broad uh, philosophical uh, traits, I, I do hope I share. Uh, he has, as you know, butted heads with Republicans there uh, in the General Assembly. They are in control. Do you see yourself, though, perhaps some way, because it's your temperament or some other abilities to compromise, do you see yourself as perhaps being more effective than he's been? Well, the key is to focus on the issues. And if you focus on the issues and, and you don't look at this from the lens of a blue issue or a red issue, but you look at it from a North Carolina issue, you can get good things done. And as the Democratic Attorney General, I'm a Democrat, uh, I've been able to work with the Republican legislature on behalf of the people, whether it was uh, reducing overprescribing of opioids or giving law enforcement more tools to go after drug traffickers or modernizing our state's laws to protect kids from child sex abuse or eliminating the backlog of untested rape kits, the largest in the entire country, or improving our criminal justice laws so that folks are treated fairly and we're kept safe. These are all things that I have been able to do as attorney general together with the Republican General Assembly. And so uh, I will continue to work with them on economic development issues, on public education issues, on health care issues. Um, and where there are issues where we just can't agree, I I'll stand strong, whether that's protecting your freedom, your, your freedom, your right to vote, or women's right to make their own reproductive health care decisions. Uh, you first have to get through this primary, as you are well aware, and Republicans have to do the same thing. It looks like Mark Robinson's leading on the Republican side. Um, you could very well end up facing him in the general election. Uh, just in the, in the last day or two, he's, he's made news. I, I'm sure you used to, you're used to him making news with, with some of his statements. He said that if you're a man on a Friday night and then all of a sudden you're on Saturday night, you're a woman and you want to go into a woman's bathroom in the mall, you will be arrested. Uh, we've got to do whatever we can to protect our women. There's a lot of folks that that will resonate with across the state of North Carolina. What do you say in response to a statement like that? Well, I mean, then he also said that uh, transgender women need to go pee outside on the corner. Uh, it's, it's not the way we should lead. We've actually been down this path before here in North Carolina, and we paid an immense economic cost. We lost billions and billions and billions of dollars of economic activity because folks wanted to fight these culture wars and, and tell people where they had to go to the bathroom. And 
We don't need to do that again. We're, we're number one in business in North Carolina. Two years running, we've been number one in business. I assure you, if we were to pass one of these bathroom bills again, uh, it would set us back economically. Uh, not to mention that people, everybody is a child of God and everybody has something to bring to the table. And we don't have the luxury to waste people's talents. Uh, we've got to marshal and corral everybody's potential so that we can continue to grow this economy uh, so that it works for everyone. I literally have on the next thing on my list of questions, uh, CNBC's best in business. You provided a perfect segue. I, I appreciate that, Attorney General. Um, with that in mind, with that in mind, don't Republicans deserve a lot of credit for that? I mean, they've been in control there in the General Assembly for the last more than 10 years. Well, look, there's enough credit to go around and it shouldn't be who did this, who did what. It's about what can we do together to advance the ball in North Carolina. There are, are some things the Republicans have done well, the collaboration between community colleges and the university system, um, some of the scholarship programs at some of our, our universities, uh, they've done good things. They've partnered with Governor Cooper when it comes to some of the really major economic development uh, successes we've had, whether that was Toyota or VinFast or WolfSpeed, the, the chip manufacturer. So there's a lot of credit that can go around. Uh, they expanded Medicaid. It took a decade too long. Uh, I don't know how many thousands of people died because of it. We certainly lost out on $40 billion in economic activity. But look, better late than never. They did that. They And we got $1.6 billion from the federal government to help deal with our mental health crisis. You know, the federal government has given the state $3 billion for broadband expansion, tremendous opportunity. And they have worked well with the governor's administration on that score. They've worked together uh, on energy legislation. So look, instead of trying to always assign blame or give undue credit. Uh, let's just, that's my dog. Uh, let's work together to make sure that we uh, continue to serve the people of North Carolina. Hey, listen, I understand. I, I uh, broadcast from a, a bedroom in my house during COVID and uh, my dog Scout made more than one or two appearances with her bark. So I, I completely understand you there. Uh, you were talking yes, about sir. economic development. Um, so uh, with, with that in mind, let me pin you down on something. Would you sign a bill legalizing casinos here in North Carolina? Well, it would have to be, I, I, that, that is too broad a statement. Let's see what the bill is. Let's see what, how many casinos, where are the casinos, uh, what else is in the bill that's gonna make a difference. I am all about trying to achieve sustainable economic growth all across North Carolina. And that includes small town North Carolina. And the way you get that kind of durability is by making real investments, whether it is broadband, whether it's roads uh, and railroads or, or ports and airports. It's about connecting the rural areas with our growing um, metro and suburban areas. So let's focus on what's actually gonna pay off over the long term. Uh, send me a bill, I'll take a look at it. But it sounds like you're skeptical about casinos. Is that fair? Look, public schools, and our workforce is what's gonna continue to help this state thrive going forward. It's our people, it is the people of North Carolina. I want to pour into our people, our young people in particular, so that they have the skills that they need in order to succeed and get a good paying job or to start a small business wherever they live. And 
that's where we should be really focusing our energy. Local Congressman Dan Bishop um, running for your current job. Uh, he has criticized you, saying that you have done enough to defend the state on some big issues like voter ID and abortion. Granted, I know you personally disagree with some of these decisions, some of these issues. Um, but how should an AG, how should an AG square personal beliefs with what is a civic duty to carry out those jobs? What I have done as AG, and what I would recommend any attorney general to do is always go back to your oath of office. What are you what are you swearing to? And what I swore an oath to is to the Constitution and laws of the United States and the Constitution and laws of North Carolina that are not inconsistent with the US Constitution. Uh, and so that's my my touchstone, my guidestone. If the General Assembly passes a law that's unconstitutional, uh, I can't defend it. If the Constitution, if the Supreme General Assembly passes a law that I disagree with, but is nonetheless constitutional, I will defend it. It's not my personal preferences. It's the Constitution that guides me. Attorney General and candidate for North Carolina, Josh Stein, as well as his pup as well, making an appearance. At least we could hear the pup. Uh, Mr. Stein, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Thanks All so right. much. Take care. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Early voting now underway in the Republican South Carolina presidential primary. And this could be a make or break moment for Nikki Haley's campaign. The former governor trailing behind former President Donald Trump in her own home state. Joining us now is political professor Chase Meyer from the University of South Carolina. Professor, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So the latest polling out of South Carolina has former President Donald Trump up by 30 points over uh, Nikki Haley in her home state. At this point, based on, on your experience and your knowledge, does she even stand a chance? Well, a chance of winning? Um, not very likely. It's rare, if not impossible, for a candidate to make up that much of a margin or for a polling error to be that large. Occasionally, candidates can get momentum and make up a few points. Occasionally, polling errors will happen where the polls are off by five, maybe 10 points. But 30 points, I have a really hard time seeing that happening. She was a popular Republican conservative governor in this state. Um, why do you think she's not doing better? Well, the main reason is that Republican primary voters just really like Donald Trump. A great example of it is the other day when Tim Scott was on stage with Donald Trump after he endorsed Donald Trump's campaign. And Donald Trump said, hey, Nikki Haley is the one who put you in the Senate. You must really hate her. To which Tim Scott said, oh, no, I just love you. And that's honestly a good way to describe South Carolina primary voters. They like Nikki Haley. They have good opinions of her. They would probably vote for Nikki Haley over almost any other Republican. But this is Donald Trump. And Republican primary voters in South Carolina absolutely love former President Trump. Let's let's forecast this out. Nikki Haley loses election night there in South Carolina. What happens next then for her? Well, she has already said that she's staying in through Super Tuesday, where there's going to be a lot of other big states like Michigan and California. She said she's going to stay in. Politicians say that all the time right before they drop out. For Nikki Haley, she can stay in so long as she has money behind her, so long as there's donors who are donating to her campaign. But she can only convince those donors to keep writing her checks if she says, I have a path to victory. So if she were to somehow do really well in the South Carolina primary, 
say she gets 40% of the vote. She can say to the voters and to donors is that, hey, about half of all Republicans want me, not Donald Trump. I have no reason to drop out. If I'm getting half of the vote or close to half the vote, why shouldn't I stay in? If that were to happen, the checks would still come in. Do you think part of her calculus here is, is a waiting game, hoping that if she can stay in long enough, even if she's losing, that the Trump campaign um, might run into some more legal troubles uh, or, or one of the trials, uh, something happens there. And then by default, she all of a sudden becomes a uh, more serious contender. You can make an argument for that, but logistically, let's play this out. Donald Trump's first trial is going to start March 25th. It'll probably last a few weeks, maybe a few months. Let's say it wraps up after two months and it's going into uh, May or early June at that point. Almost all the primaries will be over. The delegates will be awarded in almost all the states, which odds are Donald Trump will rack up a commanding lead. So if his legal troubles get worth, if, if hypothetically he gets convicted, there are still going to be, those delegates are gonna be the ones who choose the nominee. Those delegates that he has already won, who have already pledged their support to Donald Trump, will be the ones picking the nominee. Nikki Haley is not gonna convince those people to vote for her. So to see Nikki Haley maybe be an alternate if Trump's legal troubles get worse, that ignores the fact that there's already gonna be pledged delegates who are promised to vote for Donald Trump. It's hard for me to see his legal troubles denying him the nomination just due to the calendar, just due to the fact that so many contests are coming up and those delegates are bound to vote for who they say they will. They can't just be promised and pledged to Donald Trump and then all of a sudden, ah, change my mind, got to vote for Nikki Haley. They'll vote for Donald Trump on the first ballot. That's what they're bound to do. Um, you mentioned Tim Scott. Do you feel like at this point the Veep stakes is his to lose? I don't know if I would say it's his to lose, but he's absolutely a top contender. Um, there's been rumors of other candidates like uh, Christy Noam, the governor of South Dakota, is one contender. Uh, there's going to be various um, arguments for which candidate should be chosen. Donald Trump certainly cares about loyalty, but other people could talk about using the VP to help expand voters. Like if you're a voter and you love Donald Trump, you're going to vote for him no matter what. So putting a VP on the ballot should be someone who can maybe expand your potential. Someone who could convince the voters like, ah, I'm not 100% sold on Donald Trump. Okay, but you know, I like this VP choice. Maybe I'll vote for them. So the big question is who can Donald Trump choose that might expand um, to who will vote for him? Who might pick up voters that he might not normally get? Is that person Tim Scott? Is it Christy Noam? Is it someone else? That is a possibility. That's what's happening behind the scenes. Those candidates and the surrogates for those candidates are making their case to Donald Trump to say that I can help you win. You pick me and I will make it more likely that you'll be back in the White House. How good are those sales pitches though? It's hard to say because historically VPs don't bring that many more votes. They're not going to be someone who will win multiple states for the candidate. But they can bring a few votes. And in a close election, like 2020 was, a few votes could swing the result. Yeah, it can make all the difference. All right, Chase Meyer, professor at University of South Carolina. Chase, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. All right, take care. Up next on Flashpoint, most vulnerable kids in our schools are missing weeks of learning every year. Coming up, our investigation into why students with disabilities aren't getting the help they need. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Some of our most vulnerable kids in schools 
are missing weeks of learning every year, suspended and sent home routinely due to disruptions caused by their disabilities, something their families and advocates call discrimination. WCNC Charles Nate Morabito brings us the latest in our suspended series. My name is Elena and I am a victim of discrimination in the school system. Students with disabilities. I'm a single mom of an autistic kindergartner. And their parents. And my husband Jeff and I are the proud parents of a son with autism. From all over North Carolina. This child has pretty much had no education her entire third grade year. Have shared their voices with us. It's devastating, it's traumatizing, it's embarrassing, um, it's deflating. Hoping others will listen to. No child should ever have to go through what our child did. And hear them. I cannot explain the emotional toll it takes. They are among thousands of families. During middle school, my teachers and staff always singled me out. Impacted by school districts reliance on reactive discipline. And the district's response was to suspend over and over and over for disruptive behavior. He was disrupted because his needs were not being met. As a former school principal, I remember how challenging it was when students communicated that they have needs or deficits in skills through uh, maladaptive behaviors. Miguel Cardona is the U.S. Secretary of Education. But it's our responsibility as educators to make sure that the students that need more education get more, not less. While he credits the American Rescue Plan with helping put more social workers and psychologists in schools, he says the federal government continues pushing local governments and states to do their part to fully support these students. It's an issue that, if not addressed boldly, will lead to wider disparities. A WCNC Charlotte investigation found more than a dozen other states have taken bold action, banning suspensions and or expulsions, primarily for the youngest students, with some exceptions. Do you think North Carolina should ban this kind of discipline? Unless it includes acts of violence against another, yes. State Representative Laura Budd sits on North Carolina's K-12 Education Committee. They don't intend to be disruptive but you're punishing them as if they did have intent. Therein lies the problem. The Democrat says while she supports a ban, it's a put your money where your mouth is. Not at the expense of other kids in the classroom. You have to provide your school districts with alternative means to manage their schools and the students within them. Ahead of the General Assembly's short session in the coming months, Representative Bud says Democrats and Republicans must agree on major public school investments to properly address this problem. One of the things that they could do is put this issue at the top of the agenda. And that would start within the separate House Select Committee on Education Reform. So as a lawmaker, as a committee member, what can you do to help find a solution? The first thing you do is, is listen to people that know more than you. Representative Ray Pickett sits on that committee. Is that something you would support, banning suspensions? I mean, at this time, I'd like to have more information. Each case would be different, and I think we would have to have something in the, in the law that gave a little discretion. The Republican says he's committed to learning more about the problem. It's very important. I mean, the, these kids deserve to have a chance education from teachers and school administrators for starters we have issues that we have to address and we're gonna to have to address them here
and it's going to have to be reoccurring money. I begged lawmakers. These families. All I want to do now is fight for him. Say without meaningful action. I'm literally every single solitary day in a fight for her life. Their kids will fall further and further behind. We've shared our findings with the co-chairs of the Education Reform Committee, including Representative Brian Biggs. The Republican told us coming up with a solution to this problem is already a priority and said the committee could place the issue on the agenda at a future meeting, but added he does not support a suspension ban because he says every situation is unique. Nate Morabito, WCNC Charlotte. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Folks, come interact with us on social media. Let us know if there's something you want to talk about here on Flashpoint. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.